This is episode two of Talking Through Traffic. I am Kevin Schofield. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, I just want to get this out of the way before we go on with our show. Uh, I have picked up an advertiser. Uh, I am surprised as you. Someone listened to episode one, and they're in. They're an assistant uh, in marketing at this Japanese company that's looking to expand into Japan. They were big in the '90s, apparently. Um, they have a famous logo. Um, but uh, anyway, they uh, they went away for a while, uh, as a lot of things in the '90s did. But as a lot of the th- things in the '90s did, uh, they're starting to make a comeback now for some reason. So uh, they wanted me to it's just a trial run to see how this goes, and if it goes well, uh, then they might start paying me to read their advertisements before uh, every episode. So we'll see. Uh, so let me. They gave me what to read here. Um, God, I should probably read this first. Uh, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go ahead and say it right away. Uh, okay, so here we go. Do you hate doing dishes? Does do you put dishes in the dishwasher and find that no matter how much you put in there or how long you leave it in there or how many settings you put, you still have dirty, messy dishes every single time it comes out that that. You'll have to go in there by hand anyway to just try and get it off. And then sometimes you can't, so you just resort to using paper plates and paper uh, utensils. Well, fear no longer, gentle consumer. Mr. Sparkle is back. That's right. Mr. Sparkle washing up liquid. Famous from the 90s, it is back all the way from Japan, it will wash away all your dirt with honor, and it will bring honor to your family and to your dishes. It is the hardest and most powerful thing to hit to hit America from Japan since Pearl Harbor. Holy Lord! Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, crap. Uh. On with the show? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode two of Talking Through Traffic. Uh, My name is Kevin Schofield. Uh, To everyone who tuned in last week... And listen to episode one. Thank you very much. Um, so here we are in episode two. And I had a general theme for today. Today's topic is depictions of mental health and mental illness in the media. Specifically movies and television. Um, it's a kind of a hot button topic. Uh, I thought it was a logical place to start. Uh, you know... Some people have a lot of opinions on it. Some people don't even think twice about it. Um, coming from me, as someone who, you know, I spent most of my time in my life not aware that I had mental illness. I was aware of the realities of mental illness and the realities of how they're not portrayed accurately um, on the screen. Um and then when I became diagnosed uh, and aware and educated myself 
Um, it was something I started thinking a lot about. I, I didn't really think much about it unless there was something in the news about it, to be perfectly honest. Um, and the first thing that ever came up uh, post-diagnosis was when I went to see the movie Split. Um, now, those of you who are aware of the movie um, know what I'm talking about. Those of you who aren't, basically, it's an M. Night Shyamalan movie. It came out um, a while ago, started James McAvoy, and he played a character uh, called Kendall Kevin, Wen- Kevin Wendell Crumb. Uh, and basically, he is a man who had uh, dissociative identity disorder, or as it's popularly known, multiple personalities. Um, and he had 23 full personalities in his body at one time, in his mind. And um, there was, and the story is about friction happening between the personalities, causing him to, half of his personalities to go rogue and kidnap three innocent girls uh, as a sacrifice to be made to the 24th personality that they claim is coming and is going to awaken uh, that they just call the Beast. And, uh, you know, long story short, spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie, um... But it turns out the movie, first of all, he does have the beast. The beast comes out. He does have superpowers. Uh, He can climb on walls. He can uh, bend uh, bars. But it turns out this movie is actually a sequel set years and years after the movie Unbreakable, also an M. Night Shyamalan movie, uh, starring uh, uh, Samuel L. Jackson and... Uh, oh, shoot, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, Bruce Willis, that's who it is. Um, and that movie is essentially, if you boil it down, a man discovers he's a superhero after he survives a train, uh, a train wreck, and he's the sole survivor, and he has not a scratch on him. Um, it's basically a superhero world. So this world of Split is essentially telling the story of a supervillain, of a comic book supervillain, but in a more realistic way. Uh, So I was kind of fine with it, because one, I'm a fan of the director, I was a fan of the the movie was very well done, and the, the movie had instances where it laid out that this particular person... Kevin Wendell Crumb, played by uh, James McAvoy, uh, was a special case. They didn't lay out too much, but he had a therapist. He saw the therapist, and the therapist had a scene where she was talking to a fellow doctor about this case and about her theories of uh, what this disease can do, that it can drastically basically the idea that it can cause the the person because of their personality disorder to uh evolve if you will to another stage of human evolution um kind of like a mutant basically uh and her doctor dismisses her says these are people who are sick and they need our help they don't need you telling them that they're all powerful human beings and they can evolve and whatever 
so they kind of lay out that this doctor particularly is kind of on the fringe of what most uh, people in her field would uh, have opinions about, and that this particular person is a uh, kind of a special case, and not all people are like that. I wish they would have laid it out more that that people with this disorder uh, are like kind of give an example of a of a person who displays it normally so we can see okay he displays it similarly but not the way this guy does this guy displays it completely differently and there's something specific specifically different about this guy the James McAvoy character to kind of get that across but it kind of goes into a larger perspective of I mean what do you think about characters with mental illness or quote-unquote who are "Quote unquote crazy," um, you know. Go uh, off the top of my head, Dexter from the movie Dexter, Walter White, Patrick Bateman from American Psycho, The Joker, Norman Bates, and as far as movies are concerned, you got Psycho, Shutter Island, Fight Club, Seven, Silence of the Lambs, Black Swan, Girl Interrupted. They're all they all have very similar depictions of mental illness and people with mental illness. And it kind of bleeds into this cultural dialogue we have going about mental illness. And it kind of doesn't help that after every mass shooting in this country, one side wants to talk about gun control and one side says it's health. It's a, it's a health issue with uh, mental illness and we don't do enough to, to help, uh, mental illness and uh, mental health in this country. And it doesn't seem like people who make that argument truly understand it because, first of all, someone with a mental illness is more likely to harm themselves than anyone else. Uh, And also, like, yeah, if you do want to talk about it, we can talk about it because it does need to be helped and it does need to be uh, fixed. Um, But that's kind of where it stops. Kind of diverging here into more political area and I'll so I'll, I'll I'll bend back a little bit. Uh there is one movie that uh it still falls into similar traps of you know, hey, this is not how this works. Um but, you know, as someone who is a writer, uh came from acting and from theater and storytelling, I am a storyteller at heart. I understand that there are larger things you want to communicate to an audience. Um, and sometimes the realities of mental illness are just not even on that radar. And it's just a trope you're using. Um, and I don't mind tropes. Uh, they can be offensive, yes. Uh, but I believe they're offensive if they're overused. And this one, unfortunately, is overused. And I think it wouldn't be that big of a deal if we saw it every once in a while depicted that way as a trope for, let's say, a superhero movie or, uh, you know, a horror movie even. Um, You know, Halloween, that's coming out soon. That's another example. Um, I don't think we would, if we saw more positive or realistic depictions of mental illness in movies and in television, to balance it out. Um, And as someone who works with kids with autism, I would also like to see that, too. Because... It seems like every time someone depicts someone with autism in a movie or in a 
television show, they're also magical, they have magical savant powers. So yes, they have this disorder, but they're also like superhuman and they can be like the world's best doctor or, you know, they're incredibly intelligent and have, you know, a photographic memory and they can memorize the dictionary and, you know, they're Rain Man, basically, Um, you know. And it seems like the same as in mental illness, where it's either they're a horrible murderer or, you know, they're an invalid, basically. Um, there are no real people. And Silver Linings Playbook um, is a movie that came out a few years ago, and it has similar things. Uh, you know, the the guys, the character played by Bradley Cooper uh suffers from undiagnosed uh bipolar depression basically um and he's going through a divorce his wife cheated on him he his illness snapped him basically he had a a manic episode uh he had to go to a hospital basically for a while and then be released into his parents uh to his parents uh, to live, uh, be balanced. He meets the, uh, another character who is the Jennifer Lawrence character. She is essentially going through depression because her husband, who was a cop, was killed in the line of duty. And she's trying to deal with that. And it's the story about the two of them dealing with their issues, mainly the Bradley Cooper character, but how they come together and basically fall in love and how that kind of solves everything basically how family and love kind of can fix everything um it's a very hollywood story and it kind of diverges away from the point that that's not how bipolar works uh that's not how depression works that's not how any mental illness works basically um but what it does succeed at is getting the realistic depiction of what it's like what it's like to suddenly have a panic attack in the middle of uh, a crowded street with everyone looking at you Uh, what it's like to deal with these ups and downs what it's like for the family to try and deal with these ups and downs but also family who has no idea how to deal with it or that it was even a thing to deal with and now they're just trying their best and sometimes their best isn't good enough um and also what it's like for two people who are going through similar things how connecting based on those things that seem like they're terrible uh and a burden can actually make them not so burdensome um and that's where it kind of gets away it kind of goes in spades with that um but it does show him with, he sees a therapist. Um, there are several things of him seeing his doctor and uh, and going through treatment and trying to better himself. And it kind of normalizes the discussion about these things, which I think was the point of the movie. And I think it does a better job than any other that I, that I have seen. I'm sure there's another one that does an be- even better job. Uh of a fictionalized story giving a more full uh, depiction of mental illness. I, th- I still think there's ways to go with it, but um, 
I think honestly, it you know honestly it doesn't bother me as much as what really bothers me is the politics of it all. And I hate to get into politics, and I'll stay on the sidelines here for now, but we do need to address the realities of mental health in this country, the visibility of mental health and education in this country, educating peoples on the realities of these things. And that's more important to me than whether or not, you know, the Joker is an accurate portrayal of someone with a mental illness, you know, um, one thing affects people on a very wide range on how they view something. And the other thing affects how people view it, but also how they're treated uh, or not treated. And to me, that's the bigger issue. Uh, and until we can kind of get better at that, for me, the mental health thing in movies and its depictions will have to take a back seat. Uh, it's still important, don't get me wrong, uh, and I do think uh, we're becoming more understanding on the educational level and the more understanding of what mental illness really looks like to the people who are affected by it directly and secondarily the people who know people uh, and their family, their friends, and know it through that way, you know. Um, and I think we are getting better at being more open about the conversation. Um, I'm seeing mental health talked about a lot uh, online uh, in various different ways and methods, and that makes me excited because it makes me think we're going in a positive direction. And one day, maybe the biggest fight will be over, you know, maybe we should check the Joker you know, or, you know, maybe no more Norman Bates characters or, you know, uh, basically. Um, so, uh, I did want to get into one last thing before we end the episode. Um, uh, basically some relaxation and calm down techniques. Now, as a person with anxiety, uh, and depression and, uh, you know, I've had occasional anxiety attacks and panic attacks. And um, also, I have a job where it is very high stress. And I have had, you know, some breaks in the middle of a session where I'm in the middle of a session working with someone, trying to give them therapy, and something happens, and it just triggers. It happens. Uh, we're human. And uh, one of the easy kind of calm down techniques, kind of relaxation techniques I use, and it works for me, it might not work for you, but give it a try, see if it does, it might help. Um, if you're ever in a stressful moment, just take a minute, breathe, breathe deep in and out, count your breaths, focus on the breaths, if it's a full in, if it's a full out, how many of them are you taking, and while you're doing that, Picture in your head someone who is the embodiment of calm, cool, and collected. For me, it was always Barack Obama. Whatever, and I've told people that before, they always laugh because it's a funny thing to say. But honestly, politics aside, one of the things he was always very good at, whether he felt this way or not, 
was giving off an air of I am calm, I am cool, I am collected in the middle of a crisis, I am the adult in the room, and I am here to remind you all that everything is going to be okay. And for me, that is one, the mark of a good leader, but two, um, you know, something I find in common with a lot of people who are good at managing stress and uh, are able to be the, the rock in the middle of a storm. And kind of picturing that in my head, getting that in my head, reminds me that, like, okay, I see what I need to be. And it makes it easier to get to that level. Um, so try that. See if it works. Hopefully it does. Um, if it doesn't, then, you know, uh, go on to something else. Um, you know, uh, every little bit, try everything, basically, is my my advice um excuse me for some water uh and i want to end today's episode on a quote and i kind of want to or a reading rather um and this kind of goes into a different topic altogether um but it's a topic i want want to one day talk about maybe next episode i'll see but it's about and it kind of goes with the depictions of mental health in media and in pop culture and in our culture in general, but the notion of the romantic, the romanticism of mental health. Cause, uh, so today we talked about all the negative depictions of mental health, that it makes you violent and a killer and whatnot. Uh, but I want to possibly next episode or maybe the episode after that, talk about how, Sometimes you have this depiction of the, you know, the tortured artist who is suffering, uh, but through their suffering, they create great art. Um, this is a thing that actually did exist, but it wasn't anything romantic because the pain was unbearable. And there's no person that embodies that more and this, this topic more that, than the playwright Eugene O'Neill. Uh, he had a horrible, he had a very painful life. Um, and, uh, if you want to look into him, go look into him. Uh, I might, you know, I might do an episode all about Eugene O'Neill and the life of him, um, and Eugene O'Neill, uh, cause he definitely suffered, uh, a lot in his life from pain and from a lot of, uh, uh, he was definitely someone, I hate to diagnose someone, uh, you know, especially someone who's dead and is long dead. Uh, but he's definitely remind is, is a classic example, probably of someone who dealt with long-term depression. Um, but anyway, from his play, long day's journey into night, uh, I want to read to you, and it's also kind of going with the calm down technique. Reading helps me calm down a lot. It distracts my mind. It cools me. And, this quote and this this monologue that I'm going to read for you, it goes up there with some of the greatest monologues of Shakespeare, and uh, so I'm just going to read it. It's from his play Long Day's Journey into Night, um, and it is by the character Edmund, who in this play basically it's about a family and it's basically his family, uh, and they're all stand-ins for people in his family, and Edmund is a stand-in for him. And he gives Edmund a monologue that someone describes a time in his life when Eugene O'Neill was out at sea. 
and uh, how it felt, and how it felt to be him. Uh, it's fairly long, so stick with me. And once I'm done, the episode will be done. So thank you, everyone, for listening, and I'll leave you with this. You've just told me some of the high spots in your memory. Want to hear mine? They're all connected with the sea. Here's one. When I was on the square head, square rigger, bound for Buenos Aires, full moon in the trades, the old hooker driving 14 knots. I lay on the bowsprit, facing astern, with the water foaming into spume under me, the masts with every sail white in the moonlight, towering high above me. I became drunk with the beauty and singing rhythm of it, and for a moment I lost myself, actually lost myself. I was set free. I dissolved in the sea, became white sails and flying spray, becoming beauty and rhythm, became moonlight and the ship and the high, dim, starred sky. I belonged without past or future, within peace and unity and a wild joy, within something greater than my own life or the life of man or life to life itself, to God, if you want to put it that way. Then another time, on the American line, and I was lookout on the crow's nest in the dawn's watch, a calm sea that, that time. Only a lazy groundswell and a slow, drowsy roll of the ship. The passengers asleep and none of the crew in sight, no sound of man black smoke pouring from the funnels behind and beneath it. Dreaming, not keeping lookout, feeling alone and above and apart, watching the dawn creep like a painted dream over the sky and see which slept together. Then the moment of ecstatic freedom came, the peace, the end of the quest, the last harbor, the joy of belonging to a fulfillment beyond men's lousy, pitiful, greedy fears and hopes and dreams. And several other times in my life when I was swimming far out or lying alone on a beach, I have had the same experience. Became the sun, the hot sand, green seaweed anchored to a rock, swaying in the tide. Like a saint's vision of beatitude. Like the veil of things as they seem drawn back by an unseen hand for a second. You see. And seeing the secret are the secret. For a second, there is meaning. Then the hand lets the veil fall, and you are alone, lost in the fog again, and you stumble on towards nowhere, for no good reason. 
It was a great mistake, my being born a man. I would have been much more successful as a seagull or a fish. As it is, I will always be a stranger who never feels at home, who does not really want and is not really wanted, but can never belong, who must always be a little in love with death. The makings of a poet. No. I'm afraid I'm like the guy who was always panhandling for smoke. He hasn't even got the makings. He's got only the habit. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a good day and good mental health.